0: This
1: is exactly right.
0: You know there's so many fears surrounding it fears that by talking about it you're going to create um, a situation for instance, instead of realizing that by talking about it we can and being open about suicide we can um, lift that veil of, of shame um, for those who have, for those who are suffering this terrible loss.
1: Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place. One parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about. While living your own life to the fullest, today's show is History of a Suicide with Jill Bialowski. Jill's newest volume of poetry, Asylum, a personal historical natural inquiry in 103 lyric sections, was a finalist for the National Jewish Book Award. She is the author of five acclaimed collections of poetry, three critically acclaimed novels, including The Prize, and most recently, The Deceptions, and two memoirs. Poetry Will Save Your Life, and New York Times bestselling memoir, History of a Suicide, My Sister's Unfinished Life, which we will be diving into today. Her poems and essays have appeared in The New Yorker, The Atlantic Monthly, Harper's, O Magazine, The Kenyan Review, Harvard Review, Paris Review, and Best American Poetry, among many others. She co-edited with Helen Schulman the anthology Wanting a Child, She is an executive editor and vice president at WW Norton and Company. And in 2014, she was honored by the Poetry Society of America for her distinguished contribution to poetry. Jill, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Dan, for having me.
1: This November is the 10 year anniversary, and we are in November, of your book, History of a Suicide your beautiful book about your sister and the process of dealing with her loss.
0: It's amazing because it, it doesn't feel like 10 years, but, um, I'm very, very, um, happy that my publisher Atria is, um, is, um, reissuing history of a suicide with a, a new preface by Andrew Solomon and an afterword, um, by me.
1: Yes. This book was very needed, timely, needed on many levels, which we'll go into, and timely when you wrote it. And when you wrote it, we, we should say the 10 years, right, the, 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 the decade that it took to research um, another decade before of processing, and here we are in a pandemic with – or, or – a pandemic, coming out of a pandemic, going into an endemic, wherever we are. But what's really critical is the mental health crisis we are in and the spike that we have had over the past decade, and particularly in the last two to three years of suicide and its impact on so many families, friends, and communities.
0: Yes, I'm so also uh, Dan, so aware of that, and um, it's it's very frightening. Um, it, it's it's frightening to see also the rise in suicides for a younger population um, mm-hmm. of of um, young children from the age of 12 to youth and teenagers and and young adults. Um, is on the rise. So we we need to consider this.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, On a personal note, um, not only was I touched and moved, um, there's so much to say about your book, um, your memoir and the story of Kim and your family. Um, Mm -hmm. But also we are, um, one of my kids lost a very close friend to suicide in the past few years and um, we have firsthand experience of how that um, can change a life for many and for all of those who are connected by family and community. Um, and it's, it's, there are almost no words. You spent, you, you, you wrote a memoir of words. And oh. at the same time, I felt as if your process and through your beautiful poetry, was trying to find words to describe something that is almost indescribable.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, first, um, Dan, I just want to say how sorry I am for your son um, and your family, and um, and the person that you lost, and and his family. Um, it is so devastating, and you and you're so right that the tentacles of, of this kind of loss go very deep. Parents, um, siblings, friends, it changes their lives. Teachers
1: who've mm-hmm. had
0: a student um, and his or her life, it, it changes all of us in ways that we really don't know until we have to go through this terrible tragedy. I mm-hmm. wanted to point out, too, that um, November 19th, is International Suicide Survivor Loss Day. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's an international day to really um, celebrate the process of grief that those of us who have lost loved ones to suicide endure. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's Mm -hmm. not something that you recover from. It's something that you have to live with and, and, um, process. And for some people, it takes a, a very long time, um,
1: mm-hmm. to, to do that. Yes,
0: uh, yes. Mean, for most people, we expect people to move on and get over this kind of loss, um, quickly because we don't want to see our people we care about suffer, but it, really is something that, um, takes a lot of time and courage to process.
1: You, you talk about enduring and that is what I got from your description of the support groups that you, um, attended, that you talked about attending during the writing of the book. And, you know, the anniversaries, the birthdays, The places, the memories, like they never end. Like no matter how many years go by, those are all still there.
0: Yes, absolutely, uh, Dan. And I think, I think what I have learned through through my loss is that they're unexpected. Um, You know, you think that you've achieved a certain level of um, acceptance. And then something will happen, you'll watch a movie, um, and somehow, you know, a particular character will remind you of the person you've lost, or there'll be, um, you know, I mean, um, you know, recently I went to a wedding of, um, of somebody um, who was one of uh, Kim's friends, and, you know, I mm-hmm. thought about, oh, this is what she missed. And yes, the the grief just comes when you're least expecting it. And Mm -hmm. um, I've learned to accept that. And sometimes it's a good thing because we don't want to forget the people that we've lost and love so much and are such a part of our lives. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So um, sometimes I'm grateful sometimes for it, just to be able to feel uh, my sister's presence again um
1: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that
0: may sound odd um but it, it it's true and i sometimes mm-hmm. also dream about her and i'm always so happy to mm-hmm. to see that visual in my dreams that doesn't happen as often um, yeah yeah
1: um, you, you write, if death takes one of us too quickly, we must celebrate that life and the life we have in their honor. And I think that's what you are describing.
0: When my sister first died and ended her life, it, it took me so long to be able to lift the um, veil of shame that kept me from talking about her and honoring her life. And I think this is one of the messages that I would like to share is that, you know, the the shame, feeling shame and guilt, um, can disconnect us from realizing that the person that we've lost had a whole life with us that wasn't just about the end. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Shame and guilt seem to be predominant feelings from what I understand Um, Mm -hmm. in, 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 in having a family member or a close person take their life. There seems to be, and whether it's semi-religious based or, you know, just culturally based, it seems so strong. And then there's this bind about, then you don't feel safe talking about it or don't want to be judged or you have this tremendous personal guilt. And that's the last thing we want from a healing, grieving mental health perspective is for people not to be able to talk and process and try to work through the unimaginable. Yes.
0: I think that what I remember for myself was this feeling um, that contributed to shame was that I somehow failed um, my sister by not being aware enough about her suffering. And really, you you know, it, it totally rocked my family because none of us really ever considered that she would end her life. It just wasn't even in the Narrative. It's that feeling that you failed somehow, um, your responsibility as a sister or a parent, that you didn't know this was happening and you couldn't change it, you couldn't intercede. And I think that that is where the shame comes from that also we live in a society that doesn't fully want to talk about um, suicide. You know, there's so many fears surrounding it, fears that by talking about it, you're going to create um, a situation, for instance, instead of realizing that by talking about it, we can, and being open about suicide, we can um, lift that veil of, of shame um, for those who have, for those who are suffering this terrible loss. Mm-hmm. and the other the other um what what else i've come to learn is there's also this sense of bewilderment that that happens to 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 us um the sense of just you're bewildered by how could somebody do do this how could you know a person take her life or his life and I think it's that sense of bewilderment that haunted me for a long time, that I I felt like I had to find out what happened and what went wrong so I could piece it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, in a way, that is why I wrote my book, History of a Suicide. That was my way of trying to reconcile and piece together what happened. And I have done some further uh, research on um suicide survivors and and it, it is true that the the sense of bewilderment that you possibly could have stopped what had happened um does complicate the grieving process
1: hmm. Mm-hmm. did writing your book help
0: yeah it did you know it was a very painful um process, but it also, there were times when I was working on it and researching the book that I felt at least that I was having some control of my emotional life, that um, I was not trying to bury this tragedy. I was trying to understand it. I was trying to forgive, not so much my sister, but just forgive certain aspects of of, of her past and and um, so writing it, I can't say that it was cathartic, but I think that it definitely helped me lift that veil of shame. And I found that I had to embrace what happened instead of bearing, bearing it, um, that I think a lot of people do um, because they're so... Um, overcome and in a state of shock and, and feel as if they failed the person um, who's no longer alive. So, so, you know, also because I'm a writer, you know, I had already published um, several books of poetry and and a novel. I almost felt like, how could I not tackle this subject Um, since I do have the, skill to do it. Mm-hmm,
1: uh, mm-hmm. So
0: it, it really felt like a calling. And I think that happens to some some of us who have lost people to suicide. I have a, a, another sister who um, now her practice is really working with adolescents. Um, mm
1: hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, she's a psychologist and, um, you know, I, I know that, um, that population because our sister died when she was 21. Um, my sister really felt that she wanted to help other families mm-hmm. and other, um, people suffering from suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts.
1: And I, I think both, both of the, you writing this book for you know, hundreds of thousands plus people to read and your sister doing this work are ways, I mean, to completely lean in to this, right? When you think about, um, I feel it's like yelling from the mountaintops against the shame and the guilt. It's like just going into this and opening yourselves up to not only process, but to help. Mm-hmm. Right, it, it gives it gives purpose. I imagine it gives purpose and meaning to Kim's life and loss for you to be able to help others who are in the same situation.
0: Thank you for saying that, uh, Dan. That that's very true. Um, I think I think also by writing history of a suicide, I, I really wanted to. I wanted the reader to understand that, um, my sister had, you know, really wonderful moments in her life. I mean, she was a really bright and energetic and, um, beautiful person who had lots of friends and who was doing well in school. And she had a loving family and, um, you know, uh, when she hit adolescence, which is a time where I think um, it's a very vulnerable vulnerable age for young people, is that uh, adolescent period where she began to really struggle um, over many things, but one being uh, the loss of her father figure who... Um, my mother and my stepfather divorced, and um, and Kim's father did not see her for um, between the ages of three and thirteen, and so she definitely had abandonment issues and was struggling. Um, but I also wanted to show in my book that um, you know her life was not a life that I I look back at and see as somebody who was forever. Unhappy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that that's something, you know, we have to connect with as um, survivors of of suicide loss that this, you know, this is a real person who Mm -hmm. we experienced joy Mm -hmm. with and fun and and dinners and birthday parties. And um, uh, we can't just reduce the suicide to the end point. Does
1: that right. make sense? It does. It does, and that's what you did. Um, that's what you did in in the story of her life, um, and that is for me one of the heartbreaking parts to to travel through with you is okay. seeing this um, joyful, b- beautiful person inside and out, as you describe her. Um, mm-hmm child who had three older sisters, um, you, you know, you 10 years older being in this half big sister, half motherly role. And she had these three big sisters who adored her, um, you know, close matriarchal family with the aunts, the wonderful aunts. I also, um, my father grew up in the University Shaker Heights area. So I, uh, I had images as you were describing um, your home there and growing up there. Um, and this notion, then the, the, the pain and what I wanted to talk about, Dr. S, Dr. Mm-hmm. Schneiderman, who sounds like a, was a, is a wonderful man, um, which you could talk about. And I just want to set this up with the psychological autopsy right. and how that, how that impacted you, but also where I'm going with this is also, as he described, your former stepfather, her father, as a villain in this story. And of course, mm-hmm. as, we, as you write and as we know, suicide can come from a compilation of so many different things that are both traceable in hindsight and often untraceable. I mean, it is such a complicated web. And yet, this person had a very profound impact on her life.
0: Yes. Yes, um, he did. Um, and Dan, it was really, um, uh, going to see Dr. Schneidman was a transformative experience in my life. I'm so glad I got up the courage to finally go and meet with him. And just for your listeners, the, um, he, uh, he's no longer with us, unfortunately. He passed I figured away.
1: he was about 85 when you met with him so long ago. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was, um, one of the, um, really at the forefront of suicidology and understand, you know, working to understand, um, suicide and him and, and, um, his colleagues um, invented this psychological autopsy, which is a way for um, the coroner to decide whether a death was a suicide or not a suicide. This is how this um, psychological autopsy came to be initially. But then it's been used to help um, people like me who are bewildered and want to understand why. And it's a way of getting family and friends and kind of creating a narrative of the suicide's um, life or it, what could have been her inner challenges um, that created this mental pain that really um, she couldn't break out of um, without help. And, and that's the sad part that I do feel very strongly that had she gotten help, she would be alive today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and this is the paradox of, of suicide is that often those that are suffering the most don't talk about it. Right. Um, you know, so um, anyways, I did. Get up the cur I had read dr. Schneidman's um, books um, one called the Suicidal Mind really had a powerful effect on me and I contacted him and told him a little bit about my background and he invited me to come out and spend some days with him and it was really a just I write about the experience in history of a suicide and and um, I I have to say that, after that meeting with him over three days, I did feel that I understood more than I knew before. Mm. And that was enormously helpful for me Mm -hmm. and enormously helpful for me to let go of some of my anger at people who I felt could have maybe interceded, um, angry at myself. Um, that helped to he, he sort of lifted that burden somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I still at times will have a flash of again feeling that I I failed, but mm-hmm. it, it's not so great anymore. Um,
1: I know you spent three days with him, and there was a lot discussed. In in hindsight, was there anything like uh, aha? that he said that helped lift the burden, or was it the culmination of the discussion?
0: I think it was finally the culmination of the of the entire dialogue that we had. But I do think, well, first of all, he made me also um, understand a little bit more about the suicidal mind that I hadn't understood before and you know the vortex um, that happens, and also um, impulsivity, mm-hmm. especially for young people. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really helpful to understand. And um, I think I did know that her fundamental issues at that age were about her father and feeling abandoned by him. And then when he did come into her life, he was, um, he came and went. It wasn't, you know, it, it was, it was maybe a weekend and then she wouldn't hear from him for another six months. It wasn't, they, he didn't build a relationship with her that made her feel loved and wanted. And no matter what, how loved she was by everyone else in her life, that was just a central, um, I think a fantasy that she really wanted. She wanted Mm -hmm. a father. It was different for me because I lost my father when I was two years old and um, he was just, he died of a heart attack, but her father um, was alive
1: You experienced losses, a lot of losses around Mm -hmm. the same time as you write about the loss of, um, your unborn child as this was occurring, then the loss of another, um, Mm -hmm. child in utero. Um, and then finally Lucas comes (laughs) to you, you describe as the giver of light and I'm wondering, and I know you've pondered this and written about how the loss of Kim impacted your parenting and your parenting, just your hope, your paradigm of parenting.
0: Yes. Yes, it certainly did, Dan. And that was something that, um, so I really was suffering from um, post-traumatic stress disorder, which many people who have lost a loved one to suicide suffer from. And it's it's like you're repeating this kind of trauma. Um, something will happen and all of a sudden, you know, the fears come. And uh, I did find it really difficult when my son um, became an adolescent. And, you know, during those early years of adolescence and young adulthood, you know, if, if, um, something, you know, happened and I, you know, I, 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 I did feel that I had to be like hyper aware of any kind of emotional issues that, um, could impact him. And now we kind of have a joke about it. Like, you know, if I'm worried about something concerning him, he'll, he'll say, mom, I'm not, Kimmy um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm fine this is all good (laughs) but it is it is a triggering you know it it does trigger these fears that um you know because as as I said earlier we were so unaware Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, and so it was such a shock uh to to lose her and um you know this fear that it could happen again um, mm-hmm. was terrifying for me as a parent. And um, I was lucky that I was able to talk to my son about it so that he mm-hmm. would understand why sometimes I was overly concerned. And mm-hmm. I think that that, that, um, that was really, uh-huh. I, I, I'm happy that I, I was able to do that and not, um, I mean, I waited many years to tell him that I had lost my sister to suicide because I had photos of her in my photo albums and he would look at them when he was little. And I just told him when he was little that she had, that had died in an accident because I just couldn't
1: mm-hmm. bring
0: myself to talk about suicide when he was a little boy. But when he became um, mm-hmm. I think 12 or 13, I did Um, talk to him about it. And it was a big relief to me.
1: mm -hmm. I I can only imagine yeah, to carry that and to feeling like you're not being honest and knowing how reading about how intuitive and sensitive he seems to be and that, you know, he could read something, but you couldn't say. And I, I also was, you know, I was really taken that even though, you were going by your instincts. What you were doing was you were being developmentally appropriate Mm. of trying to give enough information to reflect reality because we know kids make up much worse scenarios than the real scenarios when we don't give them information about certain things. And you were just, it was almost like breadcrumbs as you, as he was eliciting, as he was wanting information. Mm -hmm. you were slowly doling it out in a way that you felt was appropriate and that his brain and body and soul could handle.
0: Right, right. Thank you. That's reassuring. (laughs) Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yes. I mean, again, it's like, um, uh, you know, I I, I don't want to pretend I never had a sister um, and that her death um, I, I I wanted to give dignity to her suicide and what she was suffering at that time. And mm-hmm. um, you know, to I think we do have to make young young people, adolescents aware that people do suffer from from mental pain. Mm-hmm. And um so that they can be open about how they're feeling and, um, hopefully people around mm-hmm. an adolescent who's suffering can become more aware of what's going on and what could be, what, what could right. be helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's important for parents who are listening to know since social media, you know, there's been a lot of changes, um, Social media did not exist. Um, I mean, the internet, I think, was just starting about the time that um, Kim passed. And nowadays, we have to be aware, as parents of teenagers and young adults, that suicide is talked about regularly in chats, in these chat rooms on there 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 are literally websites that talk about how to do it, and that people are trying to stop these websites. Um, cutting, um, is become a major, um, coping skill that a lot of teens guide other teens to. Hey, if you feel bad, just cut yourself to relieve some pain and the the psychological emotional burden, um, which again does not always signify, often does not signify suicide, even though it could happen and is a very high risk, um, maladaptive behavior, um, it's important. This is why we need to talk to our kids about suicide, about mental health, about um, normalized depression in the sense that people experience it. Even more people these days experience it with COVID. Um, Life has been very hard for lots of people of all ages. And when we have a younger brain that is not fully developed, there is not the understanding of permanence like the adult brain, um, can process. And also when you add, um, drugs and alcohol, which is a common thing for this phase of life, it can really increase as you talked about the impulsivity and the poor judgment. And so these are all things to be talked about. And, and as you said earlier, the research shows, um, talking about suicide with people depressed or not depressed does not increase suicide it actually decreases Mm -hmm. suicide
0: yes yes i i'm so glad to hear that um yeah i'm a i'm a big proponent of of early screening that i think that you know screening for any kind of mental disorder depression um uh, Really should happen very early, you know, in pediatricians' offices, in synagogues, and churches, in schools, and I think that some of that is being done. I've been hearing about some screenings in 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 um, private schools, and um, you know, just screening can can alert. A parent or a family to, um, a child's, uh, inner worries and stresses and concerns. And, you know, because of the internet, it's so much harder for young people. Um, there's a loneliness that the internet mm-hmm. I think creates having screening and then being able to, mm-hmm. to take that knowledge in, 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 in into, um, a psychological therapy um, Mm -hmm. can, I think, Mm -hmm. just um, Mm -hmm. save lives. Absolutely saves lives. And getting young people to talk about their feelings and and where they Mm -hmm. hurt and why. And, you know, what Dr. Schneidman said, and I quote in my book, um, Mm -hmm.
1: the first Mm -hmm. thing that
0: he would ask his patients is, where do you hurt, and how can I help? Yeah, and that was so moving to me. Um, so, just that, so those, profound.
1: Those, mm-hmm. those
0: two simple questions.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yes.
0: And uh, I think parents, you know, we're afraid of sometimes uh, confronting our worries, mm-hmm.
1: um, especially the the big, the big, scary ones. Um, right. Another point that, um, that you allude to in the book and talk about, um, I know there's controversy about whether there's genetic markers, um, and to distill something down to genetics. So I actually don't want to get into that. I, I, using that as a bridge to, you know, when people have a family legacy, when there's suicide in the family, one, two, or more, that's something for parents to be really aware of because now it's part of a family story that Mm -hmm. could increase, risk in the sense of, Oh, this might be an option. Also, when we, what we know is when there are suicides in schools and in communities, there can be a sudden increase because of the pain, the idea, um, it's it just, there's these different factors that can increase risk. This is not a science, even though it is a science. It's not a, you know, like we can't predict, but we know that there's all of these variables and factors. Um, and I want to just, I want to quote a few of the statistics for our listeners that you have yes. put in a book, because this is so important. Um, 30,000 Americans kill themselves every year and nearly 500,000, half a million, make an attempt medically seriously enough to, require an ER room treatment. Um, In 2020, the CDC said that suicide claimed the lives of more than 500 children between the ages of 10 and 14 and 6,000 young adults between 15 and 24. I know from my practice, from Mm -hmm. the experience um, that we have gone through with one of our kids. And they're friends that, like you, none of us think that this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think part of that is um, we are in denial about something so awful happening. And some of it is we can't even imagine it. And Um, yet we do need, in this day and age, we do need to know that this is the worst possible outcome that can happen and what we've been saying for years to teens, like we don't want to come up with a permanent solution to a temporary problem. But when you're a teen, it seems permanent, whatever you're experiencing, the pain. And you describe in your book the different types of psychological and emotional pain, often through very um, writings of and poems of very famous um. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that we know, um, writers and poets, who ultimately did take their own lives as well. Um, this is real, and even though it's like a phantom, as you describe Kim, sometimes being, you know, a phantom in your life, like this phantom, mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge, even though it's very difficult and painful to consider. Absolutely. Thank
0: you for saying that all of that is so important. So important. Cause what we don't would you know say- the inner lives of our, I mean, we can try to know as much as we can of, about our children and our, um, but, but we, but it's very hard to know the inner life of anyone. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, and so we have to look for signs. If, if, that Mm -hmm. if there are signs of suffering, of depression, of bipolar, um, alcohol abuse, it does further the, um, you know, it's self-medicating for young people who are Mm -hmm. suffering or in in trouble. Um,
1: I have two final questions for you before (laughs) the Parent Footprint moment. The first is you are leading into right now which is for parents out there who are for listeners who are concerned about a child or someone else very important in their life, who they feel might be depressed, might be struggling and are concerned. Um, what would your recommendation be?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, my recommendation would be to, to seek out a a therapist first for the parent so that um First of all, they can talk about what their concerns are about their child um, and, you know, then get some awareness. And then um, hopefully that therapist will get will help the parent to find the right kind of therapy or the right or psychiatrist that their child um, needs. And, uh, you know, parents have to educate themselves. They can't they can't be in the dark or just hope things right. will get better um, because things actually tend to get worse right. yeah. <laughs> uh, when there's a pro- when there's a real um, when someone is struggling. And, yes. you know, we don't know what our kids are doing at school and who they're hanging out with 24 seven and, you know, what kinds of myths or ideas are, are going through their minds. And I loved what you said about their brains are not developed fully yet. Mm -hmm. So they can't, they they don't have the kind of judgment Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, that that we have as adults, or hopefully we have as adults. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I just think seeking out immediate um, help, even if you go to mm -hmm. your own um, GP doctor and say, you know, I'm worried about my kid can you recommend somebody for me to see and talk to and try to understand what's happening
1: mhm so important and there are many folks that come from um families uh that one of the coping responses is like to deny something or just to avoid something and you if if that's the family you came from you come by you come by that honestly because we are products of our environment and of course this show is about increasing awareness so we could be purposeful and so they're like losing a child suicide those are separately and together two of the most unimaginable topics for parents and mm-hmm. it's natural for us to to turn away from them and what i'm hearing and what i'm agreeing with is lean in There is no stupid question. There is like this lean in, even if you are, um, you being accused of, or you think you are over worrying, let a mental health professional tell you that you're overworked, you know, like get that person who's objective and has training involved to support you. Yes. All right. The second to last question. Mm -hmm. What do you say, given your wisdom and experience to listeners who have lost and are enduring and grieving the loss of a f- family member or close friend to mm-hmm. suicide,
0: yeah, well, first i would i just would just like to say, I'm just so very, very sorry, of course, and um I think I wrote in my afterward my new afterward that um, that for me um, Grief is a forever thing. That um, that it's just there. I think you'll figure out a way of processing over time what what's happened and what you need. And grief takes its own course. It's different for everyone. Um, I was I went to a suicide support group maybe. Four years after my sister passed away I wished I would have done it earlier now looking back on that experience I um, also thought sought out therapy for myself to deal with my grief and I would recommend that as well and you know um I think that the that recognizing that um one has to go on with life and you can go on with life, but you also have to honor this terrible grief. And, mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah. that's what the person, the loved one you know, this is also the, um, what's so difficult and confusing is that I think people feel that, that, people who are suffering suicide thoughts think that their parents or their loved ones would be better off if they were gone because they don't have to have um, the burden of their suffering. And uh, my message to young people too is recognize how, what this does, what this act will do to your family and your friends and your boyfriends and girlfriends and, your best friend, it will devastate them. It will change their lives. And I I feel like that message has not been put out there enough to young people.
1: People need to know they matter, period. They matter.
0: and I think um, suicide support groups can be very helpful because I think it's very hard for people who haven't Suffered this kind of loss to understand just how deeply painful it is Mm -hmm. And by being connecting with people who have experienced this loss for me was a relief I I just finally felt oh you you understand because it's so hard to articulate the pain and the grief Mm -hmm. And to hear other people's stories was oddly healing for me Mm -hmm.
1: And your book is healing for others as a result.
0: Thank you, Dan. I appreciate
1: that. Very okay, much. Jill. It's time for the parent footprint moment <laughs> question. Here we go. I have so many more questions, but we have to we have to conclude here. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your child, and or those you love. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about this question, and I had a different answer earlier before um, we began to talk, Dan. But now, having talked to you, I have a different answer. And I think that my sister, Kim, who, as you said, as a big sister, I was also um, very maternal toward her, and um, that relationship was so precious to me when I was an adolescent, and, you know, I I had a real doll, a a baby sister who I could um, rock to sleep and feed her bottles and feel the joy of um, my presence in her that really... um, I'm sure determined that I wanted to be a mother myself and, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so grateful that I am a mother um, Mm -hmm. because of her. Mm -hmm. So thank you for giving me that realization. I love that.
1: Thank you for that. Um, just taking a moment, this, um, I have to, to just be honest, when your book, um when Laura, our um producer, someone you know, um brought this to me, I think both because of our personal experience and because mm-hmm. of my clinical work and just because of the topic, it, it just gave me pause. Um in terms of um I feel like the um maybe the pressure I felt to um, talk about something so personal with you and something so scary for all of us and something so difficult to wrap um, one's mind around. And as I sat with your book and read your book, um, it changed and all that slipped away and what you brought and what you bring and particularly in this discussion as well, is such a human life affirming um, approach to such a devastating loss and making it so human and real um, and doing that through words and through poetry and through psychology and philosophy and history. And um, so I just wanna thank you for, um, for your courage to put this out there and, um, to say thank you for how many people it benefits.
0: Thank you, Dan. That means so much to me. And thank you to my friend, Laura Rossi for, um, connecting us.
1: It's Mm -hmm. been,
0: it's been really wonderful to talk to you.
1: So you've got lots of works, um, (laughs) out there, um, this one is now what we're focusing on because it's so important. It is the 10-year anniversary. The 19th is Suicide Survivor, November 19th, Suicide or Suicide Survivor Day to acknowledge all the families, loved ones um, who have lost. So tell everyone about where to get this book and also find all of your other beautiful works.
0: Oh, okay. Thank you. Well, um, I do have a website, which is com, and all of my books are on the website with uh, ways to to order the books, but they should be available at um, any of your major outlets, certainly um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and the indie stores. Um, (laughs) So, yes, I hope you will visit my website and learn more about me and my work. And, and help us spread the word about um, about suicide loss.
1: Yes, we have an amazing community um, with Parent Footprint and with Exactly Right Media, all who totally embrace um, mental health wellness and decreasing the stigma. Uh, around mental health issues. So this is the, this is the audience. We have wonderful people and, um, I, everyone listening, I highly recommend whether this has touched you personally, uh, suicide or has not touched you personally. I guarantee you reading history of a suicide will enhance your life. Thanks, Jill. Thank you, Dan.
0: What a pleasure.
1: Everyone, thank you for listening to this highly moving, impactful, meaningful conversation with Jill today. Thank you for sharing this with everyone you think will benefit for being a part of our community, for your five-star reviews. They really, really do make a difference. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become. And Ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummer Man, composed and performed by ProTunes artwork is by garrett ross follow us on instagram and facebook at parent footprint podcast and on twitter at dr dan peters for more information go to exactly follow parent footprint with dr dan on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode if you like what you hear rate and review the show